You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open the word of our God together. Our scripture reading this afternoon is taken, first of all, from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still other Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Then we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. And there the Apostle Paul writes, Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak about before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, But our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I preach to you this afternoon from the word of our God as the church summarizes and confesses it in the first part of Lord's Day 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the holy gospel and church discipline, 
By these two, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven open and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they, by true faith, accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, there is little doubt that Canada, even in these recessionary times, is one of the blessed places to live in all the world. And why do we say that? Well, it has to do, one can say, with our standard of living. It has to do with the freedoms that we enjoy. It has to do with the fact that there's lots of space in this country, even though it can be on the cold side. There's lots of clean air, unlike China. There's an abundance of water, unlike Australia and California. And there is peace, unlike Afghanistan, Iraq, Zimbabwe, or Israel. In short, it's really no wonder that the immigration lines to get into Canada always are long. But now imagine if there is or was an even better place than Canada. Let's call it Canada without the warts. Well, we do have warts in our land, don't we? Abortion, gang violence, drug abuse, immorality, greed, unemployment, and a host of other things plague our country and make it less than perfect. But let's imagine there is another country, one that is not perfect yet, but that is already much, much better and that will one day be absolutely perfect. And by perfect we mean no more crime, no more pollution, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more sin, no more conflict. And they're not just perfect, but also universal. Imagine a realm that is perfect and that covers the entirety of creation. Imagine a realm that we can enter already, but that is not yet perfect. But that one day is going to be perfect, complete, and happy in every way and in all respects. What would we not give to enter it? Where can we apply? What are the conditions that need to be met to get in? We all want to go there, right? Only it does sound rather too good to be true, doesn't it? 
The lands of Oz, Narnia, and Atlantis only exist in fiction. They are what we dream about, but which we say to ourselves we will never see or experience. But is that true? Is the desire for a better country a pipe dream on our part? Is it nothing more than a colossal exercise in wishful thinking? No, beloved, there is such a place. There is such a realm, such a domain. And it's called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible speaks about it over and over again. The Lord Jesus speaks about it more than anyone else. It exists. It's a reality. Only at present, it's a spiritual reality. That means you can't locate it on a map. You can't use Google Earth to find it. But still, it's present. And it exists. It's present in the hearts and lives of men and women and children everywhere. Already they are living kingdom lives. Already they are living out of God's kingdom promises. Already they are getting a foretaste of this realm. Already they can see it with the eyes of faith. Yes, and one day it will be there in all of its power and glory. They experience its footsteps in this life. When they die like our sisters De Haas and Vanderhorst and as our brother Fearinga did recently, they see and they experience a little bit more of this spiritual realm. But you know, there's much more coming. But this realm one day is going to be visible and tangible. You can touch it. You can see it. You can experience it. And you can enjoy it forever. And when God's people do, I guarantee you it'll bowl them over. They will say over and over again, and we will say over and over again to one another, we have never even dreamed the half of it. We had no idea that God could make life so good, so interesting, so healthy. So lasting. What a life. And what a kingdom this is. So where do we apply? How do we get in? What do we have to do? Point us in the right direction? Well, beloved, that direction has everything to do with keys. For this round, this kingdom that begins here and comes to glorious fulfillment tomorrow has keys. And how many keys does it have? Six, twelve, eighteen? No, it has two. Just two and only two. One key unlocks and locks, the other key locks and unlocks. One tends to be more positive, the other tends to be more negative. The one gets you in, it can also keep you out. 
The second keeps you out, but can also let you in. Obviously, these keys are different. And so they require a little bit of study and reflection on our part, and therefore I'd like to preach to you this afternoon on the theme, the first key of the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to see that in all respects it is a most unusual key, the most wonderful key, also a most powerful or, if you will, dangerous key as well. So, beloved, what is the first key of the kingdom of heaven all about? It is the preaching of the gospel. Did you say preaching? Did you say gospel? Yes, I did. But that's not all what we expected, right? What then did you expect with regard to this kingdom? No doubt some would say we expected that the key or the way to get into this particular kingdom would have everything to do with points. Why points? Because that's how you get into a country like Canada and lots of other countries as well. You you need points. You, You need a certain number of points. You know how it works. So many points if you have family here, so many points if you speak the language, if you have the right job or profession or the right amount of money or assets, so many if you're young. In short, you need points. And if you have the right number of points, you can get into Canada. Only that's not how it works with respect to the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, if entrance into this kingdom were based on points, no one would ever get in, for no one would ever be able to score high enough. And it would be an empty kingdom indeed. So we ask, if it's not points, what about money? Could money not be the way in? After all, money opens a lot of doors, and why not this particular door or gate? Nice try. But you know, when it comes to money, or when it comes to this kingdom, money doesn't work either. Whether you have no money or lots of it, it doesn't matter. Not a thousand dollars, not a million dollars, not a billion dollars, and we like those figures these days, it would appear, will cause the doors of the kingdom of heaven to open. So it's not points. It's not money. What about connections? There is a saying, that is not what you know, but who you know. If you know the right people, they'll get you in. If you have the right relatives or friends, they will go to bat for you and they will find a way. Now that may work for politics, but it doesn't work when it comes to the kingdom. It doesn't matter whether or not you're related to St. Peter or Mother Teresa. It doesn't matter whether or not John Calvin is your buddy. You may even belong to the Royal Society of Ancient Church Fathers, but it makes no difference. 
Your connections will not do it. So where does that leave us? Frankly, I would say it leaves us at a rather utter and total loss. But yet, thankfully, it doesn't leave our God there. Now, what he does is invent, what he does is create a different key altogether, and that key is called the preaching of the gospel. Can you imagine that? The very idea that words, expressions, utterances, that speaking can act as a key into this kingdom. That is surely absurd. What's so great about words? Cheap currency. And what's so great about preacher words? Look around you, what do you see? You see, preacher words becoming fewer and fewer, especially as the cause of Christianity continues to collapse. Across countries like Britain and Holland, churches are being closed, pulpits are shutting down, and across North America, in some ways, it's not much better. Pulpits are being replaced by stages. Sermons are under pressure to be short, cute, simple, and funny. And if the spoken word is not being shoved aside by the visual word or the dramatic word or the testimonial word, it's being shoved aside by the music word. And meanwhile, preachers and preaching is the butt of late night talk shows. Talk about an unusual key. Talk about a despised key. How dare we insist on its relevance? Who cares about the key of preaching the gospel today? My beloved, we do. Because even in the midst of this distressing and chaotic situation, the Bible's message remains constant and valid. And you know, it's this. Preach the gospel. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Those are Paul's words to Timothy. And indeed, his words even have a prophetic ring to it when he adds, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. And instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And furthermore, the apostle says that these people will turn their ears away from the truth. And turn aside to myths. But yet Timothy, says Paul, is to chart a different course. But you, Paul says, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge the duties of your ministry. In other words, Timothy is to stay the course. 
He's not allowed to exchange preaching for entertaining, ministry for money-making, being an evangelist for becoming a dentist. No, he has to preach. He has to keep on using that first key of the kingdom of heaven. And why does he have to do this? Because, beloved, in many ways it represents the most wonderful key and the most wonderful calling in all the world. There isn't any other calling or life or task or charge like it. You know, consider the case of the Apostle Peter. Look at him on Pentecost Day. Before him stand a vast crowd of people, and mostly they are Jews who have come from all the ends of the Roman Empire in order to celebrate the Passover feast in Jerusalem. And as such, some of them are clueless when it comes to Jesus Christ and what has happened to him, but others know very well what has happened and that they have crucified the Lord of glory. And Peter confronts them all. He tells them that in one way or another, directly or indirectly, they're all guilty. That they've put to death the very Messiah that they hope for, pray for, long for, and that God has sent. And when they hear this, they're at their wit's end. It says they were cut to the heart. And desperately they ask Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And what does Peter say? Sorry, too late. You should have been here last week. With that kind of an attitude. Does he tell them they're going to a very hot place? Does he rub it in with sadistic glee and then turn around and leave and shake the dust off his feet? No, Peter preaches to them and he says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, you people need to turn from your sins. You need to confess them, mourn them, hate them, flee from them. You need to look to Jesus Christ and believe in him. You need to be baptized. You need to be spiritually washed for the forgiveness of your sins. And if they do, what then? Then Peter says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you will have access to all the promises of God. In other words, you'll have access to God, access to his salvation, access to his spirit. And also access to his kingdom. 
You know, our Heidelberg Catechism takes what we read about in the book of Acts as well as in other places of Holy Writ. And it summarizes it with the words, the kingdom of heaven is opened. When it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they, by true faith, accept the promise of the gospel. How did the preaching work then? How does the preaching work today? How were the kingdom doors open then and how are they still open today? Beloved, it's all about the gospel and our response to the gospel. The gospel still comes to us today and it says, repent and believe. It demands faith in Jesus Christ. And when we do embrace him, then great and glorious things happen. And the merits, the saving, redeeming merits of Christ are applied to us and to our lives. And furthermore, then over all the sins of our lives, there is written one word, forgiven. And then the gates of the kingdom will swing open. And the Holy Spirit will lead us in. Now, doesn't that make you rethink what people, even some Christians, say today about the preaching of the gospel? Paul says God has ordained the foolishness of the preaching, the stupidity of the preaching, to open wide the doors of the kingdom. And that means not only is the preaching of the gospel important, but it also needs your positive, personal, and prompt response. What are you doing with this gospel? How do you personally work with this proclamation? How are you listening? For everybody else, or also for yourself. How are you handling the word of truth? May it be with true faith and a believing heart. Truly, if that is the case with you, you will discover that this is the most wonderful key of all. There isn't any other like it. There isn't any other more glorious. There isn't any more blessed. It opens wide the way into the kingdom for you. For all you who believe. But then, beloved, if this key is unusual and wonderful, it's also something else. It's also, you can say, powerful. Or, if you will, Dangerous. 
I use the word dangerous because there is a negative aspect here. Earlier, you know, we read from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 16, and there Jesus and his disciples are at Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, that's the place, one of the places we're going to be speaking about tonight when I give a report on our Israel trip about Caesarea Philippi. A place filled with all kinds of false gods and deities. And when you know there of all places, Jesus Christ asks his disciples about his identity. Who do you say that I am? And to which Peter magnificently require responds, thanks to the Spirit, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And because of this confession, Peter, and all the apostles who share the same confession, Receive the keys of the kingdom of heaven. But then notice what surprising things Jesus says about these keys. He says they have the power to bind and to lose. Even more, he says, whoever is bound on earth, here below, will also be bound in heaven above. And whoever is loosed here on earth will also be loosed in heaven above. In other words, great spiritual power is being given to Peter and to the apostles and in them to the church of all ages. Believe it or not, Christ is saying to his church on earth, you have the power from me to open the gates of the kingdom of heaven or to close them. Well, we just spoke a moment ago about the opening part. What about the closing? You notice in that connection we read another scripture passage One from 2 Corinthians. And you know, it's about smell, fragrance, aroma, perfume, if you will. And there Peter, or I should say Paul, says that he and the other servants of God are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We read that and we wonder, what does that mean? Now Paul goes on and he says to the one, we are the smell of death. And to the other, we are the fragrance of life. Quite simply, the Apostle Paul is saying that gospel preachers smell. The gospel preacher either gives off a sweet-smelling perfume or otherwise a rotten stink. He either has the smell of life about him or the stench of death. Now, what's the smell of life? 
You can say it's the smell of faith. It's the smell of those who hear and repent and believe, of those who accept the promise of the gospel, of those, and for those, the keys open. And the kingdom gates swing as well. And they may walk right in. But there's also the stench of death. And what's the stench of death? It's the smell of unbelief, of hypocrisy. It's the smell of those who who hear the testimony of the gospel, but then proceed to turn their backs on it. These are the people who refuse to repent. These are the people who have no use for Jesus Christ. They see no need for forgiveness. They have no sins to confess. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. And now to these people, the gospel comes as a word of condemnation and as an instrument of closure. It takes the key of the kingdom and locks the gates And shuts them out. And at the same time it says to all those who live in unbelief and hypocrisy. That the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on you. As long as you do not repent. Where do you find, beloved, the most dangerous place on earth? Some say the most dangerous place on earth is in Somalia with its treacherous warlords. Others say, you know, it's in the Congo and Africa with its constant civil wars or in its Afghanistan with its Taliban or it's in northwest Pakistan where probably Osama is still hiding out. And then there are those who say, no, the most dangerous place on earth is where the AIDS epidemic continue to march forward, claiming victim after victim. But you know, none of those places really win the prize. Well, Lord's Day 31 says the most dangerous place on earth is in the church. It's where God's people gather. And where the word of the living God is preached. It's there where the keys are being administered. It's there where you sit under the call of the gospel. Reject that gospel. Spurn that gospel. Ignore that gospel. And the gates will shut on you. And the results will be worse than what any man can do to you. It will result, it says, in wrath and condemnation. There is no more appalling place to be in this life than to be standing at the gallows gates of the kingdom of heaven.
And indeed, may none of us ever find ourselves locked out to the church of Jesus Christ is the most dangerous place. But at the same time, it's also for those who believe, strangely enough, the most blessed place imaginable. For all who embrace the gospel in faith and the gospel's Lord, there isn't any better or higher or greater or more happy place to be than in the communion of God's people and under the proclamation of the gospel of grace. And may that be the case with all of you. May this prove to be the best place for you. May this prove to be the place where the kingdom doors swing wide open to you. And where you can enter into a kingdom that will never be shaken. And a life that will never end. And a glory. That will defy your wildest imagination. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.